the first hunt I ever took this bird on, Matt and I were in a little college town in Valdosta, Georgia, and we went out to a little park that had a few trees in it and not very many, some squirrels running around. And so we get out and, we, and he had a little whippet at the time. And we get out and let the, the, the hawk go and the red tail flies up into a tree and Matt and I kind of start unloading. I get my vest and I'm putting it on and grabbing stuff I need. And all about that time I look up and we hear the bells go off and the, the hawk flies over to another tree, slams into a squirrel nest and starts ripping it apart. And a squirrel ran down the tree, hit the ground. The whippet was right behind it and the red tail flies over the whippet and catches the squirrel. And, and we had not taken two steps from the car. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back for another week of the Falconry Told Podcast, and glad you're joining us again. A couple months ago, I uh, was talking to Matt Molinex and, um, you know, just talking about different ideas for people to have on the show in the future, and and um, he made a suggestion that uh, Eric Edwards, a former apprentice of his, um, would make a good guest, so I contacted Eric, and um, he was nice enough to invite me down and uh, hang out a couple days while they were... Uh, trapping merlins on the uh, the panhandle there in florida i had never seen beach trapping before so i was uh stoked to get the opportunity to go and hang out and was able to have a conversation with eric so i give you all eric edwards enjoy three two and one mr eric edwards how's it going man doing good great to have you yeah man thanks so much for the invite and uh we're um we're actually hanging out down here on the panhandle of florida right now looking out uh these fine back deck windows staring right at the ocean and a nice beach and everything this is a this is a terrible place to trap dude <laughs> it's a horrible place to trap you know it's uh, it's it's probably the world's fanciest trapping blind there's no doubt yeah yeah whenever i uh um started talking to you about all this and everything um i had really had no idea um <laughs> you said you were close to a beach and you did some beach trapping and stuff like that but i didn't realize that you really actually had a house you know kind of on the beach and on everything beach. and yes, um, absolutely yeah i remembered pulling up and just thinking hmm yeah, he's definitely got it rough for the week or so, you know, week, uh, the head of the year that he comes and does this each year. So you do this, I do do this about every year, right? Absolutely. Yeah, this is a, you know, Merlin trapping trip that, you know, a friend of mine has been trapping up in this area since the 70s, basically. And uh, mm-hmm. they've invited me along for about 25 years now coming up here and trapping Merlins. And, you know, he used to organize the trip and invite friends in and, you know, probably 10, 12 years ago, I started kind of taking over the organization of the trip and renting the houses and doing all that. But I've been, like I said, been coming up here for about 25 years, trapping Merlins. Yeah, there, I guess there, there's probably a lot worse things to have to just begrudgingly take over, yes. right? <laughs> <laughs> it's not too bad. And the, the, the trip's kind of stretched from a four-day trip to now we try to spend about two weeks up here uh, trapping Merlins every day. So. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, man. Um, yeah, I, I like I said, man, I'm envious. I'm honestly just... Uh, I, it's, it's, this place is pretty cool for everyone that's listening. I know you can't see what we're seeing right now, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just, just picture, um, you know, this nice picturesque, uh, beach location and, and literally, um, the, the, the trapping area and everything is right in the backyard. So, you know, if you, if you just, uh, if you just want to go in and grab a cold frosty beverage, you know, while, while you're kind of, you know, just, just suffering in this, in this just terrible, uh, florida sun and everything staring at this this wonderful oceanfront view you can just walk right into an air-conditioned uh, nice house in here and do that and yeah so since the 70s yeah yeah they started out coming down here on a, an island near here um and it kind of got overdeveloped and and they kind of wandered into this area but mm. but yeah coming here since the 70s trapping starting out with peregrines you know trapping peregrines mm-hmm. and merlins and and we trap a lot of peregrines here as well when somebody has a peregrine permit and, mm-hmm. and we try to invite i mean we usually have anywhere from six to ten people that come in and out of the house through the two weeks and people that either first time they've ever been merlin trapping or guys that have been doing it for 30 years and just uh it's a pretty incredible wealth of information of merlin flyers and trappers that are here i mean you know at one point we probably had over a hundred years worth of experience you know sitting here one day guys that have been doing this just forever so it's it's a lot of fun very very good learning experience as well yeah no obviously i mean i feel like i've learned quite a bit just seeing how um you know the like your uh your dogaza setup out there and everything was was pretty cool um yeah i mean it's uh not not to mention all the uh 
you know, the nighttime hangout shenanigan aspect of things, you know, that, that uh, obviously I got a small taste of last night, which is pretty funny. Of too, course, so. a, little, a little bit of that. We, we like to unwind after a long day of sitting in the sun, Merlin trapping. Well, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's, there's a lot to, uh, there's a lot to have to vent and, and, uh, you know, just voice your, your frustrations about, you know, out here. That's for, that's for sure. And hopefully you Jeez. have a lot of Merlins to man all night. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's the hope anyway. So, I mean, what, uh, I mean, you got, you kind of told me a little bit, um, about kind of the, the average amount that you can typically see or trap or whatever. I mean, this is a major kind of flyway and stuff, but I mean, what, what's, what's the best and worst year that you had out here? You know, the, the place that we're at is not the best place to trap merlins in the state of florida i mean the east coast is by far has mm-hmm. a more consistent flyway a more consistent um flight of merlins and peregrines you know they and any kind of raptor they, they just migrate the east coast but this place has a kind of hit and miss sort of an attitude to it some days you come out here and i've, I've sat on the deck and spent three days staring at the sky and not seen a single raptor you mm-hmm. know? and other days we'd come out here and catch you know 10 12 birds a day so mm-hmm. Yeah. It does seem to be a little bit of a roller coaster. This week's been kind of unusual. We, it, it's been more, well, I guess last week was a little more of a steady kind of a flight. We were seeing eight to ten Merlins a day, catching one to two out of those. So mm-hmm. it's been a little more consistent week last week. And this week, it's just gotten brutally hot, and as you have experienced, and windy and <laughs> seems to have slowed down a little bit. But Yeah, yeah well, you know, I mean, it's, uh, like I said, it's if, if they're <laughs> – if, if you're going to meet unfavorable conditions Not in, in, in any yeah. kind of trapping environment, I, yes. I still think that obviously this is probably the... Uh... <laughs> Not a bad place to yeah, do it. Yeah. Yeah. But it. But it's one of those, I mean, trapping's like anything else. It's, it's about time put in. You know, if you put in the time, uh, you spend the, the days and the hours out there doing it, you're going to have good days, slow days, fantastic days, incredible days. And, and, and like we've witnessed out here, you just seeing what happens just on the beach is just pretty incredible. You know, you have a peregrine come by one minute uh, chasing shorebirds down the beach and next minute we watch an osprey catch a fish and a bald eagle chase it all over the sky and mm-hmm. uh, end yeah. up making it drop it so i mean you, you really see a lot of cool stuff out here mm-hmm. yeah no it's it, it seems like there's uh there's a lot of nice entertainment aspects of it for sure absolutely i mean if yeah. you you know it's, it's just a really natural kind of an area too i mean it's, it's hard to fathom but you know that we're sitting on a a beach in florida and you can't see a condo yeah <laughs> the, the nearest grocery store is 45 minutes away well and that's and that's the only experience that i really have with with florida beaches for right. the most part because i mean I, i've been coming to florida on vacation you know off and on with with my uh, with my with my parents since i was little little yeah right and i mean it's always been in like a uh, you know a, a condo in, in daytona beach or um <laughs> you know some something like that and it's uh for for me to come to a place and see an area like this where most of it's state park around us and you know there's there's some houses like on a strip and everything but there's not just an over fluctuation of tourism just constantly walking up and down the beach and everything it's it's kind of it's 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 weird but it's good weird yeah you know it's a neat area yeah so you were telling me earlier also something about, um, you know, not, not too far up from here, there was a spot that um, used to kind of work and, and trap and, and kind of watch, you know, a bunch of birds migrate through and stuff. What, what area was that that you were talking about? Or, uh, or was that, uh, or maybe, maybe that was Matt that mentioned something to me. Yeah, about I'm not sure what that would have been. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we used to, uh, I mean, obviously we did more trapping over on the East Coast where we saw a lot of birds. Yeah. But, you know, up in this area, you know, I've, I've really not trapped anywhere else kind of in this panhandle area. You know, yeah. This is kind of the spot I've been at gotcha. for a long time. Yeah, I know. Uh, but pretty much like up the up the area, up uh, just up the road here is, mm-hmm. is like more state park area. And then like what what part of this area isn't state park area? I mean, is it pretty, uh, pretty much, much just, just where houses are sitting? Yeah, just, where, just <laughs> right. everything else literally around. Yeah. So. So, yeah, no, I mean, so, so you said that, um, you know, like back in the seventies and everything, this was a lot more, uh, open, everything, things have been a lot more grown up. Like which areas around here did, did you all used to trap that aren't accessible now? Well, there's some, again, some islands that are farther east. I mean, you're talking an hour, you know, on the other area, some places that, uh, that guys used to go trap and and it just like everything else in Florida, it's just all built up and grown up. And the same thing on the East Coast. We had areas back in the 
years ago when friends used to trap big fields that are now condos and shopping centers and things like that. Same so. deal. So, so in other words, the, uh, <laughs> the overdevelopment aspect of things uh, look a lot different in Florida than they do in, say, southern Indiana. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes, it, it makes trapping very difficult in Florida. You know, yeah. finding a place to trap is you know, the hardest thing about it. Well, and I'm, I'm sure the hunting looks a lot different down here, too, because I haven't really talked to too many people that, you know, that, that hunt in Florida and, and, and this far south yep. and everything. So, I mean, I, obviously in, in southern Indiana, I mean, we have a lot of the typical, you know, squirrels, cottontails, all that kind of stuff. But yep. I mean, how, how I, go ahead and just describe to me then how, how different hunting is down here compared to other parts of the country, like the Midwest and stuff. Hunting in Florida, I mean, I've hunted all over the country, you know, and, and it is, it, everywhere has its own challenges, of course. I mean, hunting way up north, it gets freezing cold and you have to deal with snow. But, you know, Florida, it's all about the heat. You know, you have to deal with the hot weather, the heat. Um, you know, it's hard to motivate birds in the heat. Uh, but hunting in general in Florida, most people are hunting squirrels and rabbits like everywhere else mm-hmm. uh, you got a few people that are flying long wings on ducks i mean we do have good duck hunting in florida mm-hmm. uh, we have a you know a duck that stays here year-round model ducks so you have them kind of not migrating through but they're here all the time and then we get of course a lot of your migrants teal that come in mm-hmm. uh, ringnecks pentails pretty much everything like that uh, so there are a few duck guys and um and a few of us marlin falconers that fly uh, anything from you know, doves and snipe to sparrows and quail occasionally, mm-hmm. you know, and I do a lot of, most of my falconry, of course, is merlins that I fly a lot of sparrows with and occasional doves and, and quail are, we do have a couple of coveys of quail in the ranches that I hunt and uh, wild quail. And then I fly a lot of small peregrines, tearsal peregrines, passage peregrines, barberries, and, and mostly on snipe, you know, snipe something that I've pursued most of the time i've been in florida you know for probably almost 20 years now cool so how's um as far as the florida regs and stuff go with the with the seasons and everything how how different is that i mean what what do you guys have that's a little bit more open year-round as opposed to you know like snipe and all that kind of stuff where, right. where i'm at obviously has some has some kind of tighter seasons and, and, and windows kind of, and stuff and so. it's probably same for us i mean our snipe season is um, you know, it starts in, uh, I guess, middle of uh, November or first of November and goes through uh, middle of February. So we have a pretty good, pretty good snipe season that goes through there and dove season as well. Uh, duck season, our duck season's weird. It gets kind of split up. So it was well, ours is too. Yeah. It it's starts like, and stops and mm-hmm, starts and stops. Yeah. And so, well, yeah. same with doves for us too. It's, it's the same and, um, and crows even. Right. Um, get a couple little weird seasons with, yeah. Yeah. Like our crows for us, I think is like, uh, um, july to mid-august and then it stops and then starts again in like december and goes to like i don't know yeah so i it's uh i so so you mentioned that like there's that particular duck that you have pretty much year round here and doesn't migrate in now whatever is is is, does it follow the same uh migratory season and everything same migratory seasons as any other duck you know it's treated like all the rest of them but but it's but but you know you just you know it's going to be here, you know, yeah. when the season opens, and, right. and that's mostly what we're flying is we're mo- flying model ducks and, and teal are, are two pretty popular ducks that are flown in Florida. But gotcha. and I haven't hunted ducks here in a long time. I mean, it's just it's a difficult place to to fly ducks, partially because there's so much water in Florida. Right. Um, there's very little. You know, there's not a lot of cattle ranches around everywhere where you have small cow ponds. Mm-hmm. So yeah. so the ponds tend to be big marshes, um, you know, or ditches and waterways and with, uh, with, just <laughs> so much water in Florida. It's hard, hard to pinpoint them down. With other forms of intimidating wildlife oh, that, absolutely, tend, that yeah. tend to, uh, you know, kind of yeah. congregate in set it's always, areas. So. It's always a bit of a roll of the dice to see if you're going to step on an alligator when you're flushing <laughs> your ducks. <laughs> and, yeah, and, I, and the biggest challenge of hunting in Florida, of course, just the heat. I mean, it's, it really is warm most all the year i mean we get some periods in you know, december january where you know it's 50s 60s but um you know but we also it's a very difficult place to start out for example a new captive bred peregrine right know, in barberies which i've done many many times and you end up getting a bird in july and you're out there trying to train it in august and it's 95 degrees with 90 percent humidity and yeah. you know it used to always make me laugh because i you know you talk to falconers out west and you know, to talk about training peregrines and like, oh, you just take them out and you let them go and they just go up, you know, it's like, yeah. well, they, they don't go up when it's 95 degrees no, they, and 90% humidity. Well, like, I mean, like I've, I've run into the same thing with the prairie over yeah, there. Oh, yeah. It's just like, yeah, you know, they'll go yeah. up for 
I don't know, a minute, and then they'll start circling and just keep going that way. Yeah. <laughs> and then, well, you know, two flew, miles down the road, you know. <laughs> I flew a passage to Tiersville Prairie Falcon here in Florida, and, mm. and, uh, and the problem with it is just it was really hard to motivate him for one because it was just warm all the time. Yeah. He mm. just did, really didn't like to fly. And, and I really ended up, the only way I could really get him to take much of a pitch was I just started flying him in thermals. You know, I'd mm. go out at 11 o'clock in the afternoon and let him go, and he would just sky out i mean he'd be up thousands of feet little tiny dot but it's really the only way to motivate him to go up is to get him into a thermal otherwise he's just like hunting off telephone poles and hanging out <laughs> A bit of a failed experiment, but but it was fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he's like I said, he was more of a, a late pulled uh, a late pulled IS and stuff. So you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure like a passage bird, you know, they've already learned all those habits of just oh, landing yeah. on stuff and whatever. And, and I've tried to avoid that with him. So you know, but at the same time, you know, uh, the uh, the same experience of you know, if I if I'm just an hour too late yeah. out right now, you know, it's a difference of like a, a 10 to 15 degree difference plus you know, the whole weight issue and everything. And right. then just, yeah, I, it's, it's to the point now where it's like, if I, if I even, if I look at the clock and I, and things have just gone to the point where it's just like, okay, well it's, it's after 11. Um, you know, I've, I, there's been times where I've still tried it and just regretted it, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. And it's just right. pointless or whatever. It's ended up being a waste of time, but, but yeah, so, um, so mainly Merlins and, and Peregrines and things have been what you've mostly flown. But, I mean, how, how did you start off? I mean, I, when I got into Falconer, I was living in South Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, Waycross, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And it was a, just an amazing place to fly a red-tailed hawk because Waycross is kind of a little town built in the middle of a pecan orchard. So mm-hmm. every neighborhood bordered pecan orchards, and there were giant orchards with commercial growers all over the place. And... It was kind of interesting when I, I got into falconry. I met a falconer at a pet store, basically. Well, I met a friend of a falconer at a pet store, and uh, he was asking if I was if I like birds. We were playing with a parrot, and he's like, "You like birds?" I'm like, "Well, I, I like birds, but I've always really liked hawks and falcons." And he's like, "You got to be kidding!" He said, "The people that work next door to me are falconers," and I'm like, "Seriously?" He's like, "Yeah." <laughs> so I found out who they were and got their information and called them up. And this, this might sound crazy, but I met a guy today that said you're a falconer. And so anyway, <laughs> they got me in touch with the Georgia Club, who got me in touch with a few local Georgia falconers. And and uh, first bird I got, of course, was a red-tailed hawk, like most falconers. And and it was really a my sponsor, Matt Mullinex. I remember when I was first getting into the into the sport. You know, one of his requirements was you need to go find three hunting fields, you know, before you get your bird, you know, mm-hmm. get permission on three places. And, well, <laughs> yeah. when you go to a pecan orchard and you ask a pecan farmer, can I hunt squirrels on your farm? Mm. <laughs> they, yeah. they welcome you with open right, arms. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so getting permission was not a problem. Sure so. you don't have more birds? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay, can you bring more? You know, so I remember the first time I took Matt, Matt comes to my house. He's like, so have you found any hunting fields? I'm like, yeah, I got a few. I think it'll be nice. And he's like, let's go take a look. So we pull up to a pecan orchard and there's, 20 squirrels sitting around on the ground <laughs> eating pecans and running around in the trees i'm like will this work he's like yeah i think this will be all right <laughs> and so you know so interesting my first red tail that i ended up catching you know I, I hunted primarily squirrels but the the first hunt i ever took this bird on matt and i were in a little college town in valdosta georgia and we went out to a little park that had a few trees in it and not very many some squirrels running around and so we get out and, we, and he had a little whippet at the time mm-hmm. and we get out and let the, the the hawk go and the red tail flies up into a tree and matt and i kind of start unloading i get my vest and i'm putting it on and grabbing stuff i need and all about that time i look up and we hear the bells go off and the, the hawk flies over to another tree <laughs> slams into a squirrel nest and starts ripping it apart and a squirrel <laughs> yeah. ran down the tree hit the ground the whippet was right behind it and the red tail flies over the whippet and catches the squirrel and and we had not taken two steps from the car yeah <laughs> you know and that was my first head of game i ever caught with a with a bird of prey right so you're, so you're getting this unnaturally just just completely totally just skewed version of how it normally works yeah <laughs> well and what really ended up happening was i caught a red tail that had been hunting lots of squirrels i mean mm-hmm. this this bird knew so much about squirrel hunting it was just obviously if it knew to just go straight over there oh, and start ripping up the, the I nest mean, I, I learned more about hunting squirrels from that bird and then the bird learned from me i can tell you that much you mm-hmm. know? so we ended up catching you know almost 100 squirrels first year you know but it's just the place you know i'm in the right place and that's what falconry is all about if you got the right bird and you got the abundance of game you know success comes pretty easy you know? yeah. and that's kind of how it was there so i, so I flew red tails for a couple of years and 
my first two years. And then my first year as a general, I was working in uh, Texas uh, doing bird shows. Mm. And we weren't going to be working all winter. And so I thought, you know, I mean, I'm in Texas. There's ducks, ponds everywhere. And, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to work all winter, so I'm, I'm getting a peregrine. You know, so my first bird as a general was a peregrine falcon, a little tearsel. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so I spent all winter hunting ducks with that bird. And, and he caught, he killed a lot of ducks and pheasants and everything else just because I was flying him twice a day, every day. Mm-hmm. He'd kill in the morning. He'd kill in the evening. <laughs> yeah, so, nice. But I was just... I was in an area where you could literally kind of get in your car and drive a little 10 mile circle and just figure out which duck slip you wanted to take that day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, okay, I've got wood ducks on that pond. I've got, you know, widgeon on that pond. I got ringnecks on that pond. <laughs> you know, so you just figure out which one you wanted to go fly. And, you know, so, dilemma. Yeah, it was, yeah, believe me, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to be back in that situation. But so he was a phenomenal bird and I flew him for quite a few years. But then my, my second year, I ended up 1995, uh, got, got my first Merlin, you know, which actually came from right here, uh, trapping with a couple of friends and, and started flying her. And, and that's pretty much what I've done since is uh, long wings and long wings and more long wings. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's tough though. Like in, in my area, you know, all, all I hear constantly is, you know, you shouldn't even bother with the, with the bigger long wing and this, that, and the other, which I know there's some merit to that. You know, I mean, like I mainly got into bigger long wing cause I wanted to learn how to train a bigger long wing. Sure, you know, yeah. Cause I'm, I'm just a long wing guy. That's, that's what I really enjoy. I enjoy the micros too though. Um, and you know, I've had a lot of fun with the Kestrels that I've had and stuff. And of course, you know, I mean, Matt, pointing me kind of in your direction for for this and everything but i also know you're a, another big merlin guy and and stuff too so you know the merlin was was obviously the next big thing i really wanted to, to try and do with my falconry career yeah. so you know it's um it's been kind of neat um seeing another group of guys that that uh or is into it everything has been doing it as long as you guys have so yep um you know so so just kind of start off with with um you know how how your your merlin falconry has kind of progressed over the years then i i mean how i how many did you say you, you've flown at this well, point i've, I've caught game with 33 merlins now so. Jeez. Yeah. all all passage females except for one male mm-hmm. and the rest of them in passage females and then hunted a little bit of everything i mean my first merlin i was actually living in amarillo texas so mm-hmm. so out there in amarillo i was flying big flocks of blackbirds and everything from sparrows and doves and abundance of game out there quail every now and again but um you know so I flew her out there in texas uh but the first merlin what got really got me into merlins was the first one i ever saw fly was a good friend of mine joel volpe uh who had a little passage female merlin and uh was at a georgia falconry meet and out there watching her just zip around and i'd, I'd never seen a merlin fly before and she's just tearing up the sky and zipping all over and ends up <laughs> catching a little bird and it was just it really had an impact on me you know kind of stuck in my head forever and, and then we took trips out west with the same bird flying her out there and just really neat watching her fly. So mm-hmm. I kind of knew I wanted to fly a Merlin at some point. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I had an opportunity to come trapping with a few friends uh, down here in Florida. And luckily ended up getting a bird and, and flew it out in Amarillo. And then uh, flew her one season. And she did okay, but obviously I you know, made a lot of mistakes and did a lot of things wrong and, and, uh, and, and knew I could probably do better with the next one. So I turned her loose at the end of the first season. And, and then when I moved to Florida, uh, you know, just abundance of small birds here is just crazy. I mean, there's lots and lots and lots of small birds, uh, but uh, we don't have the big flocks of blackbirds here. Just, they're just not here. They don't exist. We, you know, with starlings you see every now and again, but no flocks. Uh, you have doves, but we really don't have a lot of agricultural areas in Florida. So mm-hmm. you don't get the huge concentrations coming in like you would in a grain field. It's more a situation where you have a little small group that comes into a pond to get water in the mornings and uh, sits in a couple areas in the field. Uh, so you kind of know where little pockets of them are, but it's not like you have big giant flocks of doves like yeah. you would in some agricultural places. But, you know, so when I came here, I was flying a peregrine and, and uh, he was doing OK, but he just he it's the same one that was my first peregrine is what I brought to Florida. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was a really long drive to, to find ducks. I mean, I was driving an hour and a half one way just to get to an area that had ducks. And right. really just got tired of doing that. So I was looking for something to, I could do a little closer to home. And I had a bunch of little small fields I had access to. So I uh, so got another Merlin you know, and started flying Merlins. And uh, pretty much flown one every year, at least one. I've flown four casts of Passage Females and uh, I've had multiple Merlins some seasons. So, yeah. you know, so I've flown pretty much one 
every season ever since moving to Florida. Yeah, I do. I do distinctly remember somebody talking about you know you some point successfully doing the the cast flying stuff. Yeah. So I mean, going to that is something not very many people hear about very often. You know? No, it's a little different. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's a pretty exciting thing. But I I one year decided I, I caught two really nice female merlins and. I just figured I'd give it a shot and see if they'd fly together. So uh, their names were Lily and Rose. Lily and Rose are my second cast. My first cast I got um, names, I believe, was Mickey and Mallory. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I had Mickey and Mallory, the first ones I had. And they were doing pretty well independently, uh, catching sparrows and things. And one of them started really doing exceptionally well. And she was the calmer of the two. And she's really laid back. And she caught a lot of birds. And came home one day and the, the, the dreaded toe chewing thing was going on with her. She had chewed a big mm-hmm. thing in her foot. And so I contacted everybody and anybody and you know, bottom line ended up letting her go. So, mm-hmm. so I never really got to fly them together very often. They never caught anything together. So a few years later, I catch two new passage females and both of them are doing really well, uh, Lily and Rose. And, and uh, so they were both catching game at home, doing, doing great. We took a hunting trip out to Amarillo, Texas, um, and I'm not sure if it was a NAFA meet or just a hunting trip, but we went out to Amarillo, and we had spent a few days flying, and both of them were catching birds and doing well separately, and so my buddies out there, Matt and Jimmy Walker, and Matt's like, well, uh, are you going to do it? Are you going to fly them together? And I'm like, I was like, <laughs> well, you know, we can give it a shot, you know, I haven't done it yet. So we were at a little little farmhouse, had a little little hut, and there were lots of little sparrows all over the place, and so we turn them both loose and for a while there it was like you know 15 minutes of just chaos and people yelling you got one's coming on your left you know flush and so we'd flush sparrows i got another one coming over the the barn and one's behind you one's to your right and they're just all yelling out directions and where they were and we're flushing sparrows and they're just zipping all over the place and it, it was really just crazy and 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 then uh, Lily flies up, and there's a little stand of, of trees that were all bare, and, and for, she flies right up into the trees and just smacks a dove off a branch. <laughs> and when she hits the dove, it, it dives down into the cover below, and the other Merlin rose. She comes flying in and crashes into the cover, and Lily crashes into the cover, and you see them kind of, they jump up and hover above the cover and dive back down in. The dove was running around on the ground, evidently. And <laughs> finally, one of them flushes it, and the dove takes off, breaks from cover, and both Merlins are just right on its tail. And, <laughs> and we're all watching this just in amazement. And they, they're both right behind it. And the dove heads to a fence row and bails into a fence row with both Merlins behind it. And I run over and crawl in, and there they both are <laughs> holding on to this dove. Nice, <laughs> so, yeah. nice. So that was the first bird I ever, ever caught with a, with a cast of Merlins. And, and, and then brought them home and just flew them together every day. And, you know, we just basically go to a big 4,000-acre ranch and let them go. And, and they just fly around, and we just hike the ranch and flush birds, and they're chasing them. And... It was never a cooperative thing. They never helped each other, but it, right. was, it was all a, a big competition, you know, so because mm-hmm. they, they pushed each other to really excel, you know, because this mm-hmm. one didn't want the other one to catch it, and this one didn't want the other one to catch mm-hmm. it. So they always stayed right around you, and they just flew little circles overhead and wanted to stay real close because they didn't want the other one to get the bird. And right. So they'd, one would catch a bird and just fly off and go wherever, go cache it or eat it, whatever, and we'd just keep hunting <laughs> with the other one. You know, cause you couldn't really stop and go deal. So you basically just had to let that one go do whatever it was going to do and then just keep flying with this one. And, you know, I think our, one of our craziest hunts, my wife and I ended up hunting the two of them, uh, for four hours, you know, and, and caught, I think six or seven birds in four hours. And both of them took a bath in the middle of the hunt. So, <laughs> you know, one would just disappear. It's like, you know, where's Lily? I don't know. You know, give her 15 minutes. She doesn't show up. We'll go look for her. And 15 minutes later, she shows up soaking wet and they just go sit on a fence post and dry while you're hunting the other one. And, you know, Jeez. So, and then she dries off and okay, here comes Lily. You know, she comes back in and she joins in on the hunt again. And you know. Nice. Well, I mean, where, where I'm at, man, that would make me a nervous wreck just because this, <laughs> these, the overabundance of coops and stuff yeah. that we have and, and everything, which I'm sure was not any different where, where you've no. been at or whatever. Too, you know, my, I mean. my advantage is, is we have coops like anywhere else, but you know, I, I hunt a very wide open field. I mean, it's, it's basically 4,000 open wide acres and it's on the edge of a lake. And so the lake is another huge, big open body. Mm-hmm. So 
And I've always found that as long as the Merlins are, are open ground, they see the coop, you know, they, they really usually don't have a problem getting away from Cooper's Hawks. And I rarely, rarely, rarely ever, I've had, you know, I can count on one hand the number of experiences I've had with coops coming in on my Merlins. And, and it's just almost never, you know, just because we're out in the middle of the wide open. You know, mm-hmm. I think I think you run into more issues when you're hunting on the edge of woodlots, sure. smaller fields. Or, you know, in city, like city park areas or, or, you know, anything that resembles like a city park type yeah. area or whatever where, you know, they, they just can't see them coming. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've lost one Merlin to a Cooper's Hawk and it was just a weird freak situation. My wife and I were out hunting a big field and there was kind of a marsh area on the backside of it. And, um, and we walking along and flush a sparrow and the sparrow takes off towards the marsh and the Merlin takes off towards the sparrow. And this is just a really pretty blue sky kind of day. And, and we're watching in binoculars and she chases the sparrow way off and, and, and goes in after it. And we're like, okay, she caught it, didn't catch it. We'll see what happens. And, and my, about that time, my wife says, what is that? And she points up to the sky, and there's a Cooper's Hawk in full stoop that must have been 1,000 feet up and saw the Merlin and just comes straight down out of the heavens and wham, lands right on top of her. And, and uh, she did not survive. The, she, she, she lived <laughs> yeah. when she died, but she, she had gotten so much spinal cord damage from the yeah. talons in her back, and she just lost use of her legs. And yeah, So that's the only Merlin I've lost to a Cooper's Hawk. But, wow. And really haven't had them chased very often at all. Wow. I mean, that's pretty good odds considering how many you've flown. Knock on wood. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, yeah, that's uh, not to jinx anything, of course. But yeah. Well, I mean, just to put things into perspective, I mean, out of the two Kestrels that I've flown, I've lost the, the first one almost that, to, to a Cooper's Hawk. Yeah. I mean, it's just well, like, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, like I said, of course, I, I don't have quite as many of those type areas that you, that you just described that, that I have access to to hunt. Right. At least not yeah. right now I don't. So it's Well, I've, I've my story of, um, from that point of view is, is more of with Barbary falcons, you know. I mean, no. all, all of my Barbary tersels have met a, a grim demise, you know, to <laughs> eagles or I've, horned owls. I I've, I've heard that um Barbaries have much more of a um I don't know how to put it more of like a Napoleon complex when it comes to bigger birds. Yeah. Like they, they don't, they don't realize how, how much smaller they are. <laughs> yeah. I think that, you know, part of it, I mean, I, I know the problem with, you know, one of mine anyway, was that he just, just never saw him as a threat. I right. Mean, he, I had one catch a snipe over a, a big marsh area and, and when he caught it over the water, of course he didn't have a place to land. So he keeps mm-hmm. flying and, mm-hmm. And, and as soon as he's flying over the marsh trying to go find a place to land, these two bald eagles come out of the woods. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, so, but he's flying straight towards the bald eagles, and they're flying towards him at kind of an angle. And I'm like, he, you know, he doesn't even he doesn't even see this as a threat. Yeah. And I'm running yeah. and yelling and screaming. And he lands with a snipe in his feet, two wing beats ahead of the bald eagles. And you know, one of them picks him up and the other one's fighting him over it. And then two bald eagles are fighting over my Barbary as they're flying off into the woods. And so, God. so yes, all of my Barbaries have met a grim demise to horned owls or eagles. Cause I mean, we have a lot of eagles in Florida and yeah. you know, it's just a problem. It's just a, you know, if you fly long wings in Florida, big long wings, you, mm. you will lose them to eagles eventually. It just happens. There's so many. It's incredible. Well, how many, how many Barberies did you say you fly? Uh, I guess I've flown uh, four, bar- well, three Barberies and one Red Nape Shaheen. So. Oh, nice. Uh, well, I mean, how were, um, I mean, how were those experiences overall compared to, I've, I've not really ever seen any Barberies flown. So. Yeah, they're really neat. Um, they're just, a, for me, it was more about trying to find a, a bird to hunt snipe with. Mm-hmm. You know? And I've, I've hunted snipe with captive bred peregrines uh, with limited success. I just never really got one going really well on snipe. Um, and then my first Barbary I ever flew, you know, after I think he caught his first snipe sometime mid-December and then just started, once he kind of figured him out, he was really good at it, you know. So he caught, you know, lots of snipe all through the rest of the season. Um, and he just really... You know, very maneuverable. Uh, they're small little birds, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, they're 400 grams or something. A little Tearsel Barbary, 350, 400 grams. And, mm-hmm. You know, so they're zippy all over the sky. But and and the other thing for me is they tend to handle the Florida heat a little bit better. You know, so where they don't naturally go up, and they got bad reputations for wandering off, which can be true. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah. once you kind of rein them in, you get them dialed in. They're they're actually great little birds and good flyers, and they they tolerate the heat a little bit better than some of the peregrines do. So I've had a lot of success, you know, hunting game with them, but 
you know, but of course they, uh, they all meet an Eagle eventually. <laughs> well, I mean, do you think that, uh, I mean, that, that whole ranging out reputation that, that Barbaries have, I mean, do you think that that's really that much better, you know, in, in cooler weather, like a more traditional, you know, falconry season, like a winter or, uh, or does, it, know, does it matter? They, I, they just naturally dis, disposition. Well, it's funny because of course, you know, you hear that about them all the time and I heard it about them all the time. And, and you know, when I got my first Barbary, it was somewhat true. Yeah, I mean, I, when I go out to try to train him, I, mean, I, I got to the point to where I would have my lure in my hand and I'd pull the hood off and he'd look around and take off in a straight line and I'm swinging my lure and he just, <laughs> never look over his shoulder just mm-hmm. that you know could not get his attention same thing i'd have a you know a pigeon in one hand and let him go and just throw out a pigeon immediately and but he just looking that way and and <laughs> the crazy thing was most of the time he was he's chasing birds you know he'd see i mean in florida you put a pair of binoculars and scan the sky and you're going to see birds yeah <laughs> you know? right. there's, there's some birds flying around of some sort so i think 90% of the time you pull his hood off and he'd see something in the distance and he'd just take off and want to go chase it. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, I'd kind of, you know, okay, oh no, you know, I've got the wandering Barbary here going on. But mm-hmm. so then my next Barbary, I started um, immediately kite training it. And this is before drones, way before drones. So I'm kite training the Barbary and it just, it gave him something to focus on. Yeah. So He'd, he'd stay close. He'd ring up. He'd get the lure off the kite. He'd come down. He'd do the kite, and and I never had a single problem with that bird wandering. So, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, man, I've cured this Barbary thing, you know, by using the kite. You <laughs> yeah, know, I've, right. I've, I've, I've figured this out, man. Yeah. I, I got it going I've, on. I've used this age-old tradition to <laughs> yes. to, to train my bird. So I've figured it out. <laughs> I have I've solved the Barbary problem right here. Yeah, so. So then my next Barbary, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, I got this, you know, <laughs> and uh, same thing, you know, he'd see the kite and, and uh, see a bird and it, psh, off he would go. You know? so he, he was the worst wandering thing I'd ever had in my, you know, so far, but he, it took months to get this crazy little thing to stop chasing and just flying a hundred, you know, well, more like 10 miles, you know, off in the, in the horizon. So, you know, so I thought I had it solved, but uh, it just happened to be that particular barbering. Yeah. So, well, but, yeah, so, yeah. well I, in my experience, uh, my well, I should say my short, uh, you know, experience, uh, short span of experience so far, I should say that mm-hmm. uh, it's been mine experience that you just, as soon as you think you got even one species figured out, they, they decide to, oh, to yes. prove you wrong. Yeah, well, but, I, yeah. one thing I say about flying merlins is that you know I, I get dumber every year because you know, every year i think you know this is how a merlin is you know it's, i get another one that does something totally different you know and, and things that i thought were just written in stone you know that i get another one that just not even remotely you know and a good example of this is the last merlin i flew uh last year i had her for a couple seasons but you know typically merlins merlins pretty commonly will take baths in the field mm-hmm. and when they get hot they get tired some passage merlins never really learn to take a bath in the house or in the weathering area so you put a bath pan out and getting them to use it for some of them is just a pain and there's little tricks and things we've learned how to how to get them bathing but but some of them just will always bathe in the field Mm -hmm. well every merlin i've ever had would go take a bath in a creek or take a bath in a pond and and then they get out of the pond and they're soaking wet and they go sit on a fence post or sit in a tree and and they want nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't want you to approach them. They're not going to come down for food. They're mm-hmm. soaking wet. They just want to sit there and open their wings and sun. And mm-hmm. and you basically just have to sit there and wait until they dry <laughs> off. So, so my last Merlin, first time she ever took a bath in the field, um, you know, she were hunting birds and hunting, hunting for you know thirty minutes or something. And I I see her go over to where this creek is. It's pretty commonplace for them to take a bath and she lands in a little tree and then she goes down into the creek and i'm like all right she's taking a bath so i hike over to where she is and i get up on the little berm on the edge of the creek and sure enough i see her down the creek a little bit and she's just going to town man just splashing (laughs) in having a good old bath and she flies up into a into a tree and she's soaking wet you know i I put binoculars on her and i'm like oh god you know I'm going to have to wait, you know, 15, 20 minutes for her to dry out. So I take my hunting vest off and take everything. I put it on the ground and I sit down. And as soon as I sat on the ground, I, I look back to where she was in the tree and she was gone. And I'm like, <laughs> where'd she go? And, and then I turn around and I see her just booking it across the field. <laughs> and she's chasing a, a, a sparrow across the field. And she puts it into a bush. And I'm like, this is 
crazy. And I throw my vest back on and, <laughs> and I run out there. And, and uh, up to this point, she still didn't have a name. So, um, and, and she didn't catch the sparrow, but, but every, every hunt, uh, every day when I'd go out, she would sometimes take a bath, but as soon as she'd get out of the water, she's ready to, ready to go. I hmm. mean, you flush a bird, she's chasing it. She just never stopped hunting. I mean, even soaking wet. So we ended up naming her Siren because uh, <laughs> she, she seemed to be kind of the, the siren of the, the wet world there. She was a killer mermaid, my wife would call her. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice, man. It's, 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 it always is kind of, um, well, it's disturbing at first whenever you have a bird that, that starts doing something that you're like, oh, well, that's new. You know, right. but then, then once you get used to it, it just kind of becomes, you know, you're just like, well, on to the next one, I guess. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. And even, you know, caching is another great example of that. You know, I mean, we all know Merlin's cache and there's various opinions on, you know, how to get them to cash. I, mean, I, I really don't spend any effort trying to get them to cash, but every mm-hmm. Merlin I've ever flown caches to some degree or another. But there was a point after I'd flown a dozen or so Merlins when, you know, my theory was that, you know, if they, if they catch, you know, it, it, that it takes some time, you know, once their weight starts to come up. So mm-hmm. usually when you get them in the field, you know, their weight's kind of a little, a little more focused. And as you bring their weight up through the season, then they start caching. Yeah, and then along comes a Merlin that, you know, goes out and catches the first sparrow, first sparrow she'd ever caught. And she flies over to a bush and caches it and then comes right back. <laughs> and, I, and I'm just like, okay yeah. <laughs> i mean so, so much for that theory because uh, yeah. i mean she's just brand new i mean she and that bird maybe she cashed everything i mean she might have eaten two or three sparrows the whole season but you know, and this yeah. bird i have uh, now zen that's how she is i mean she caches everything and and some merlins when it comes to caching they'll you know they have their particular way they like to cache you know a lot of them will cash in I, my field has a lot of palmetto bushes so a lot of them will go over to a palmetto bush and cash it in there and uh siren she liked to cash in palm trees she'd go to the palm frond and she'd cash it right at the base of where the little palm uh, fronds come out and mm-hmm. but the one i have now she makes zero effort to hide a cash i mean she will she will catch a bird walk three feet drop it on the ground and come right back yeah <laughs> I mean, she just it takes her five seconds to cash a bird. She just has no, it just doesn't even try to hide it whatsoever. She's like, eh, whatever. I'll just get another one. <laughs> yeah, right. She's like, yeah, she just hides it and she's like, all right, come on, let's go. You know, let's go, let's go get another one. Yeah, but, uh, but it's, it's crazy. But so again, you just, you over the, over a course of flying a lot of them, you kind of really figure out that they, they all have their own things and they do things weird and different. And, and it's just, you learn more every year. It's just crazy. Yeah, no, I I agree, man. I said it's a, so obviously, I mean, the, the merlins. You've you've probably flown more merlins than any other species, right? At this point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. flown a lot of merlins. Yeah. So I mean, I heard you. Uh, we were all kind of talking on the on the deck, you know, earlier this morning and everything, and I. I, I heard you talking about, you know, some of the experience that you had training a bunch of other, you know, species like owls and, and everything and, you know, for, for shows and yeah. different stuff like that. So yep. <laughs> obviously I want you, I want you to, I want you to tell the story that you told about the, the eagle owl. Oh, you know, my, uh, my uh, eagle yeah, owl. yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the fun eagle owl uh, story here. But, but first I, I just, out of all the birds that you've, you've trained though, um, what's i mean aside from you know you saying that that owls are being kind of one of your worst types of (laughs) (laughs) experiences birds to train not not enjoyed owls much what what which ones did you enjoy training for the shows i've always loved lure flying falcons you know so we um we used to lure fly birds quite a bit and we used to do a show in dallas at the i worked for steve martin for you know five years traveling and training birds and doing shows all over the world and and so we used to do a a bird show at the end of the year every season at the Dallas in Dallas Texas at the Texas State Fair mm-hmm. and one of the funnest things I ever did was I had a male and female Barbary that I trained to lure fly and, and this is a very large theater it's a 5,000 seat amphitheater so we built a big kind of square deck stage you know probably 10 feet by 10 feet in the middle of the audience mm-hmm. and I would lure fly uh, a male and female Barbary at the same time to the mm-hmm. to the theme of Top Gun so, <laughs> so, so Top Gun would start playing and next thing you know they'd let them go from the sides of the stage and here comes these two Barbaries just zipping over the audience and so you're out there one guy one lure two Barbaries and you know it's just chaos you know they're just <laughs> flying all over <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly you can envision it I'm sure you know but <laughs> But now I've trained lots of lots of cool birds. You know, I always like. I mean, 
parrots, love working with parrots and the mm-hmm. uh, Work with a lot of hornbills, which is kind of a, a little thing of mine. I, I've always been fascinated with hornbills and really enjoyed working with them and training them. And so we had hornbills in quite a few of the shows. But yeah. and uh, yeah, I've trained pretty much any kind of. And it, I'm kind of glad that I kind of went through that in bird shows because my falconry has been pretty narrow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've never flown a Harris Hawk for falconry, never flown an Exhibitor for falconry, never mm-hmm. flown any weird stuff in falconry, any odd birds. But, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that is due to the fact that I kind of got that out of my system training showbirds. Right. <laughs> you know? So, you know, I've trained untold numbers of, you know, different species of eagles, you know, everything from the smallest eagle, the little Australian little eagle, which is about the size of a red-shouldered hawk, you know, all mm-hmm. the way up to you know, wedge tails and, yeah, and playing lots of vultures, condors and king vultures and everything else. And mm-hmm. So and even shrikes, you know, we had uh, called a butcher bird in our yeah. show in Sydney, Australia, and he was really neat. So trained shrikes, trained pretty much everything. But so thankfully, I think I've gotten that weird bird <laughs> thing out of my system so I can kind of focus my falconry on, on what works for me, for sure. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, so this this would be a good time to uh, segue into the... Um to, to the owls. The, the owl yes, story. Yes, the, the owl, owl story well, that I heard this morning that was priceless. Yeah. Well, of course, what happens when you're sitting on a deck uh, trapping falcons and nothing is coming through or happening? You, just, <laughs> you talk about the mishaps you, of life. You start telling stories <laughs> and mishaps. You know, what was what was your worst footing? What was your worst this? What was your worst that? So, so yeah, we were talking about owls and people flying owls. And so I shared my, we, we, had, we were doing a bird show in uh, Houston, Texas. And uh, we had a little backstage area where we had all the birds perched out and we had just gotten a couple of new Eurasian Eagle Owls. Mm-hmm. And I was working with one before the show, just kind of emptying the water, changing the mats. So I had him on my glove and walking him around and, and, um, something had happened. Somebody drops a broom or slams a door. There was a really loud noise and, <laughs> and I'm wearing a very thick Calum Eagle glove on my, on my left arm. And, and so when the big loud sound hits, this owl just cinches down with everything it had and just and you know still you see the little white dot here that's, i do see it yes yeah. <laughs> so, so, so this owl goes completely through the glove and into the palm of my hand and, yeah. and it's just most excruciating pain of just <laughs> shooting down my arm so so of course i first thing i do is i'm trying to wiggle my glove to get him to adjust his foot a little bit and then i'm i'm pulling on his toes trying to get it out of my, my hand and it's not budging. There's nothing's moving. So, so I go for the, the Vulcan death grip and grab it by the head and so I grab it by the head and it's just, it's enjoying the little scratch, you know, it just it doesn't budge. So, so I, I, I flip it upside down by the head and I'm, I'm kind of holding it, you know, doing a lot of things you should not do with your birds. But so, so anyway, I, my, my, my wife's running around backstage and she worked for the show also. And, and I say, uh, I said, Diana, I said, grab a towel and just run <laughs> this eagle owl will not let go of my hand you know, and blood by this point blood's running down my arm and dripping off my elbow and so i said just run at it and just make noise and throw the <laughs> towel in its face so so she runs up to it with a towel and she throws it at the eagle owl and it just kind of drapes over the owl and, and it just it doesn't budge you know yeah. we're we're throwing chicks and mice and quail there's a whole deli on the floor for this owl and it just it will not jump off of my hand and by, by this time my, my arms kind of going numb and and I can't really hold it anymore, so I lay down on the ground. And, 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 and at this point, you know, I was supposed to do this bird show, but I'm like, guys, I'm, I'm out. You know, I, I can't do the show unless you want me to do a whole show with an owl attached to my arm. And so I just, I'm laying in the back on the on the turf uh, by his perch. I'd tied him up at that point because I just couldn't couldn't hold it anymore. So I'm, my arms laying on the ground, and they're walking by me. Everything good? I'm like, yeah, just hanging out. You know, so, so then probably after another ten minutes, she just loosens up and hops up onto his bow perch <laughs> like nothing had ever happened completely yeah. unfazed yeah well i mean i'm so. sure you probably did something to deserve it though right oh absolutely <laughs> no no telling what the owl saw me do jeez well yeah i don't know man it's it's crazy you know even thinking about what goes through these birds heads half the time it really is well when it comes to an owl there's not much going through <laughs> the birds, so. not, much, not much yeah well yeah I mean, they're, they're supposed to be the wisest, though, right? Yes, wise, of course. Old the wise old owls. <laughs> well, I mean, out of, I mean, just out of curiosity, then, I mean, what, I, I mean, you said you had, there's a lot of species that you haven't really flown, you know, being the exhibitors and Harris's and stuff. I mean, if there's, if there's a species that you ideally would have the, 
um, well, in, in whatever, you know, in your mind would, would be like the best, uh, prey terrain, you know, area, yeah. whatever. I mean, what would you like to fly that? I mean, you haven't gotten to yet. You know, for me, you know, I mean, one thing I learned early on in falconry, thank goodness, was that, you know, it's not about the bird, you know, it's yeah. really about the quarry. Right. Right. You know, so for me, you know, like, like what I hunt in Florida, you know, I fly the birds I fly because I like to hunt snipe, you know, and I have mm-hmm. a lot of snipe and. Fortunately, we can now fly passage peregrines, which I've kind of now realized is the ultimate bird for snipe. You know, they're just incredible. Uh, but really, the quarry that I've caught only one of and would like to, you know, if I could take a winter off and go hunt something somewhere, I'd love to hunt prairie chickens, unfortunately, that are, you know, kind of dwindling and mm-hmm. harder to find and populations dropping. But, yeah. you know, I've caught one prairie chicken in my life with a, with a falcon, but but the experience of trying to even catch that one was, was pretty crazy. I mean, I it, was, it was really neat. And, uh, it's just a very impressive bird. I mean, I've, I've seen falcons take sage grouse. I've seen falcons take untold number of ducks and pretty much anything else. But, but the prairie chicken really was a fascinating bird to me. And I, I really enjoyed hunting them. So if I was ever in an opportunity where I could just focus a season on something, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hunt prairie chickens. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, it's something that I grouse, um, well, I mean, Israel, you know, he, he gets to go out to the house of grouse all the time with Steve and stuff and, yep. and hunt, you know, the sage grouse. That's something I still, it's, I still haven't gotten to see yet. I, I really, I mean, honestly, haven't gotten to see too many bigger long wings really hunt sure. you know, in person yeah. yet. And, and, uh, you know, I've seen, you know, serve pigeons and stuff or whatever. Right. But I mean, well, I, I'm doing that with mine right now, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. but I mean, obviously that's not what you, you know, you, you want to, you want to see him on. On, on real stuff sure you know? yep. so i that's i any 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 kind of experience that i i think it, whether it be prairie trick prairie chickens to grouse to whatever i mean that's that's still something that i really want to start being able to get a lot more opportunities to do so yep. yeah i mean i i i would i'm i'm there with you you know for sure <laughs> right. but um but yeah man no i mean thanks thanks again so much for i mean having me having me out here and everything this has really been um <laughs> a very you know good uh, unique in a good way you know experience and everything just to be able to get out here and uh and you know hopefully we we can trap a a couple more merlins for us sorry saps that that haven't yeah. haven't gotten one out here yet you know we've, uh, so. we've, we've, <laughs> we've filled seven or eight permits a couple to go so hopefully yeah. we can get a pick up a few more this evening before the before the sun goes down here yeah fingers crossed and if not this evening then hopefully uh you know the first couple hours or so tomorrow morning Absolutely. before we have to unfortunately you know get back to the grind up north and everything yes but, we uh, all have to you're, yeah. you're not going up north i i am my my next job's in saskatoon saskatchewan canada so. oh well yeah well you're not driving there are you? yes no thank, <laughs> thankfully not so yeah i'd rather fly to saskatoon than have to drive back to indiana so, yeah so have, yeah have fun yeah no i i'm sure i won't but uh but i appreciate it man you know thanks again so much absolutely you know? happy right. to do it all right we'll, we'll try and go catch something here in a bit. Let's <laughs> do it. All right. Hey everyone, hope you enjoyed this podcast with Eric Edwards and thank you again for joining us this week and just wanted to give a quick shout out to all the people that have been nice enough to uh, send some donation money our way and help us in our uh, mission to bring you the uh, the podcast on other platforms and also just uh, with our mission in general of uh, bringing the stories and experiences of falconry to the world. So thank you all again and uh, hope to see you all again next week and talk to you all soon. Thanks a lot.